been here the whole time, sir. <laughs> well, then I must be in the right place after all. My Lord always guides me in the paths that I should take. His name be praised. I should never have feared or doubted. Is it okay to speak to them for a minute? I suppose we have a few minutes. All right, but just a few minutes. We're working on a very important song here. Thank you, sir,、uh, Mr. Willie. Well, boys and girls, my name is Christian, and I have traveled a great many miles and years to be with you today. You see, I once lived in this world as you do now, and by reading this good book, I learned that the place wherein I lived was going to be destroyed. But that there was another city in another world to come where I could journey to and be safe, and I chose to make that journey. And oh, what a great decision that was! No matter what trials I faced in my lifetime, it was worth it. I tell you, there's not a single place in this world quite like the celestial city where I now live. Not only because it's such a beautiful city, but because of the one who lives there, who created the place, who is in fact the Lord of the place. He makes it the heavenly place to be. Oh, there's so much more to tell you, but I cannot tell you all of it now. I'm simply here tonight to invite you, no, to encourage and challenge you to, to be sure to listen your best this week. To learn from this book yourself, how you can make the same journey that I did from this world to that world which is to come, to the celestial or heavenly city. There will be lots of distractions that may come your way, but you just keep following what this book tells you. Believe it, trust it, obey it, and I'll meet you in the celestial city someday. Well, thank you again, Mister Willie. I appreciate you helping me to find the young people I was sent to speak to. You're quite welcome, Mr. Christian. Thank you for coming by and delivering your strange message. We wish you the best. Bye. Fare thee well. Now that was a strange one. Maybe we ought to follow that Christian guy and see where he goes. Great idea. Real smart, Alec. Willie. What? I'm just saying that you're smart. Is that okay? You like that? Okay, good, good, good. All right. Well, thank you to my helpers back here. I think no, they need to get down before I tune the screen. Thank you. <clears throat> and if you're in the if you're in the three-year-old class, you can go with Miss Esther to her class now too. All right. Well, good morning. Maybe before we actually get into Story. If, if you can join me in just in a word of prayer, so we can focus to, to the Lord and and ask Him to help us in our time together this morning. Father, this morning we just want to say thank you for the things that we've already been considering. We've considered our need for a Savior, because as much as you loved us, as much as you wanted to spend time with us as people, our sin had caused a great separation between us and you, and 
and we were helplessly lost until you presented the solution. In the Old Testament, there was that tabernacle where people could go to to see that there was a price that could be paid for their sin by an innocent victim so that they could be saved. And ultimately, you sent the Lord Jesus to do that once and for all, to die and give his life a ransom for us so that we could know you personally. And Lord, there's so much more to this life that we live that we could never know if it wasn't for the fact that you gave us your word and and it's there to teach us and guide us through life. And this morning, Lord, as we take a look at this story that was written to help us understand the, the flow of your scriptures on how it applies to our life from start to finish. Lord, we just want to ask that you would guide us and that you would help us not just to remember this story, but that the truths from your word would stick with us and that as these thoughts come to mind, you would guide us from wherever we are in our lives currently all the way to, first of all, knowing that we are saved and our sin is forgiven, but then all the way to that celestial heavenly city that you're preparing for all those who belong to you. We just commit this time to you now and ask that all things be to the honor and glory of your Son and our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, as was already mentioned, and I think you heard from the, the, the puppet Christian, um, we are going to be going through this story called The Pilgrim's Progress. And... Um, just to kind of introduce it a little bit so that it has a context. It was written by a man by the name of John Bunyan. Now, Bunyan lived in the 1600s, and uh, he wrote this story as an allegory, right? And let me just cover that before I forget to go back to it, right? An allegory is an awful lot like a parable. Can anyone tell me what a parable is? Someone up here kind of in the front maybe who can tell me what a parable is? Yes, sir? He said, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And by the way, I'm giving out cards to people who answer my questions, right? It says, you're, you're on target, right? And uh, if you keep these cards and put your name on it, uh, at the beginning of each of our sessions, because we're going to be doing this for a couple weeks, I'm going to take these cards and put them into my little bucket here. And we're going to have a little drawing. And whoever's cards are drawn will be able to come over to my prize table, which you can't quite see right now, but it's got... Some silly putty on there. It's got some missionary biographies. It's got some bracelets and pens and, and some things that hopefully you'll think is pretty cool. Uh, uh, just to encourage you to keep thinking about God's word and to pay attention while we're spending time together. So anyways, yes, a parable is an earthly story that's meant to teach us things about spiritual things. Now, Jesus used parables, didn't he? Right. He lived in a day and age where after people began to flock to hear him, suddenly the religious leaders, they didn't want to hear anymore from Jesus. And all they did was come around to listen to what Jesus said so they could nitpick at it and convince everybody not to listen to Jesus. And so in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus did an amazing thing. Everyone comes to listen. And the Bible says, and we should read that, shouldn't we? Right. Here's what we're going to do. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to let the young people do a sword drill, and we're going to go to a verse, and you can read it for me. Can we do that? Oh, it's not at home, I hope. Right? If you have it, uh, or you can get it, I don't just want I don't want everyone to run away. But um, if you have one, you can you can here, you can use one. How about you can use mine right now? All right. So here's how we do sword drills. <clears throat> okay, when. We're going to be doing a lot of them, so I might as well tell you now, right? So if you've got your Bible, you want to hold it up in the air, but hold it on the closed side of the pages so no one's cheating by looking in advance, right? So you hold it on the open pages, but you're going to hold them up over your head. And uh, I'm going to give you the chapter and the verse you're going to be looking for first, and you're going to repeat it back to me, right? So, for example, if it was Genesis 1-1, I'd say chapter 1, verse 1, and then you would say it back to me. You would say, 
chapter 1, verse 1. And then I'd say, Genesis. And as soon as I say the book of the Bible, you can start looking for it. Now, when you find the verse, you stand up. And if you're the first one standing up with the verse, I'm going to come over and let you read it. I'll give you my little bonus card. But listen, if you're not really there and you stand up and then you turn the page, you disqualify. All right? You have to be on the page where the verse is before you stand up or else you're disqualified. So uh, when you get it, stand up and we'll read it into the microphone so everyone can hear. All right. So our first verse was not Genesis 1-1, but if you'd like to do it, young people, hold up your Bibles. Uh, all right. <clears throat> and it's chapter 13, verse 1. Matthew, go. Matthew 13, 1. Oh, someone's got it. Well, I know I already gave you a card, but you are the first one. So, what does Matthew 13, 1 say? On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And read me verse 3. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. Thank you very much. So the Bible says Jesus began to teach in parables. And he told stories about a man who went out scattering seed on the ground. And the people who came, this is the genius of it, right? The people who came not wanting to really hear what Jesus had to say to learn from it, they got nothing out of the story. They said, what's he doing? He's talking about a farmer. What's that got to do with anything? And they went home frustrated. They didn't learn anything. But for the people who came to hear, Jesus said, that they would think about it, and the more they thought about it, the more he would teach them. But it was an everyday story that everyone could relate to, to teach spiritual truths. And that's really what this story is. It's a long extended parable, which they call an allegory. What's that, what's that word? And allegory, right? So here's the man. Why did he write the story? See, John Bunyan lived in the 1600s, and he became a Christian. He was a poor man who used to fix pots and pans called a tinker. And he was poor, but he was doing his best to get by. And he thought that he was a Christian. But little by little, he began to realize that whatever he had was not what real Christians had. Because he went by some people talking one day and they were talking about how wonderful Jesus was. And he thought, I don't get what they're talking about. I go to church every Sunday. I try really hard to be a holy man, but I don't have what they have. And so he began to search the Bible himself and learned how he could put his trust in Jesus to be saved. And he became a true Christian. And when he realized he went all these years without realizing it, he himself began to preach the gospel. He began to teach the Bible to others. There was a small problem in that day. You had to have a special license from the government to preach the Bible. And he was not about to go to the government to get this license because they were corrupted and they didn't teach the truth and they didn't want him teaching the truth. And so he said, I'm going to teach the word of God anyway. But because he did not have a license, he went in one Sunday morning to preach. And as soon as he got up and read the passage, an undercover policeman got up and arrested him and they had put him in jail. And they said over and over again, all you have to do is promise that you won't preach the word of God anymore and we'll let you go. And he refused. So for 12 years, John Bunyan was left in a smelly, small little jail cell with only a Bible and the, and the Fox's Book of Martyrs to keep him company. 
And he and the Lord spent 12 years in jail together. And it was while he was in that jail that the idea of this story came to him. Because you see, just like in Jesus' day, people in his day did not want to hear the word of God. And so he said, if I can put together this story that's like a parable, that if people really don't care, they'll read it and say, okay, so it's a story about a guy traveling. But if someone really cares about the word of God, they'll see the truths of God's words in it. And they'll be led to Jesus Christ. And so he wrote that book. And when he got out of prison in 1678, that's 340 years ago, he published The Pilgrim's Progress. And other than the Bible, it's the most purchased, most printed, uh, uh, most translated book in the whole world. So what is this story that we're going to be looking at? It begins, he says, I was in a small place in a den, and I fell asleep and had a dream. You know where he's talking about? He's actually talking about himself. What, what do you think that den is supposed to remind us of? Jail. The jail cell that he was stuck in, right? And so he says, I was in this den, and I went to sleep because I couldn't go anywhere else, and I, and I dreamed a dream. And, and, and so the whole story is really this supposed dream of his. And so he says, in my dream, I saw a man. And this man, he was a strange guy because he was dressed in these filthy rags. I mean, we look around. When we go to leave our house, do, do, do we get dressed in our rags and say, what's the worst kind of clothes that I've got? Let me put those on. Do you do that? No. 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 What kind of clothes do you put on? You put on regular clothes that you like that are nice, right? So this man was wearing rags. And so not only that, it says he was holding something in his hands. What, what, what was he holding in his hands? What, what, does someone, can someone see what he's holding in his hands? Who said that? You've got to raise your hand. But yes, he's holding a book, right? He's holding a book, and, and, and he's carrying something on his back. What is that thing on his back? It's a burden. A very heavy burden is on his back. And if you look really closely, there's something on his face, too. And, 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 and what do you see on his face? It's a tear on his face. And, and the strange thing is, look, he lives near this city, but is he facing the city? No, he's facing away from the city, reading this book, crying with this huge pack on his back. And actually, he calls out something. Now, there's no one else around, but he's so overcome by what he's reading that he says, what can I do? And he's about to fall over. He's just overcome with fear and worry over something that he's reading in this book. Well, I think someone's already said it. Who can tell me? What book this is that he's trying to read? James, do you know? What's that book? The Bible. The Bible. He was reading the Bible. And because he was reading this Bible, he was moved to tears by what he was reading there. And do you know what he was reading? I think we can do a sword drill to find out, right? If you'd like to do a sword drill, raise your Bibles up one more time. This one's from chapter 9, verse 27. Hebrews, go. Hebrews 9.27. You let someone else get this one. Hebrews 9.27. Okay. Now, those of you who get these answers, you need to wait and let someone else have a turn, okay? Read me Hebrews 9.27 real loud, please. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. Okay. He read in God's word. That it is appointed to who? To every person. There is something that is appointed to every person. And what was that? There's something that's coming to every single person. To die. 
He said, wait a minute, I'm alive today, but the Bible tells me I am going to die. But he was afraid of dying for a reason. What else did that verse tell us? It, it said that after death comes what? No, no. What did, he, what did the verse in the Bible say comes after death? Judgment. Judgment. You see, boys and girls, reading God's word told him something no one else in his life was telling him. He lived in the city and he went to work every day and he enjoyed his family and his life was just going along. But suddenly upon reading God's word, he realized the Bible says that each and every one of us are going to die. And once we die, we go before God to stand judgment. And the things that he was reading in this book scared him. Well, why would they scare him? Here's why. Because in the same book of Hebrews chapter 4, it tells us that this book is not like any other book. It's absolutely 100% true in every word that it says. And in Hebrews 4.12, it says, The word of God is living and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, and pierces even to the dividing of our soul and spirit, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of our heart. Listen, as you go around town, and you do like me, and you try to get dressed up to look your best, God's not looking at the outside. He's not impressed. You know where he looks? At the heart. And this book says that God uses his word to show us what's on the heart level in each of our lives. And Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. And so here is Pilgrim, our man in the story. He's reading the word of God and he realizes I am a wicked person when I compare myself to God. I may compare myself to you and I might look pretty good. But compared to God, each and every one of us are full of wickedness in our hearts. And he began to realize this. He said, I'm going to stand judgment before this God and I'm going to be guilty. And that made him cry. Well, it says that he's wearing rags. You know, there's a verse in the Bible. We can't do a sword drill for every single one of them. But in Isaiah, Isaiah, he stood before God one day and he fell to his knees and said, I am done. I am a wicked man compared to God. But God forgave him. But as Isaiah wrote and spoke to the people of his day, here's what he said in Isaiah 64, 6. He said, we are all like an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses, now someone tell me this, is a righteous thing a good thing or a bad thing that we do? Is it a good thing or a bad thing? A good thing. He says all of our good deeds that we do are like filthy rags. And we all fade like a leaf and our sin, like the wind, has swept us away. The Bible tells us, listen, even at our best, even at our best, Compared to God, we're like filthiness before him. And so that's why this man is pictured wearing these rags. He's wearing rags because they picture what his heart is really like. Wicked and unacceptable to a perfect God. And he's reading God's word and it tells him this is his problem. And so he's weeping. And because of what he has read, that is why there's this burden upon his back. And you know, David talked about that in the Bible. In Psalm chapter 38, King David was spending time with God and God was showing him his sin. And in Psalm chapter 39, here's what he wrote. For my iniquities, my sin, have gone over my head and like a heavy burden, they're too 
heavy for me. So the Bible is telling us, listen, boys and girls, men and women, we can fool ourselves to some degree to making ourselves think we're pretty okay if we look at one another. But if we will take the time to hear from God, in his word, he tells us very clearly, we are in the same condition as this man in our story. Before God, our sin is wickedness. And even the good things that we do, because it's mixed with the bad in what we do, we ourselves are like filthy rags before God. Unacceptable. And I hope, I hope that that produces in you a burden. See, here's the thing about this story. Uh, this man, this pilgrim, and, and, and he's called three different things in the story. And, and I'm going to use the three names from time to time, changing them back and forth because we're talking about the same man, right? We call him a pilgrim because what is a pilgrim? Not someone who gets on a Mayflower, but what, what is a pilgrim? It is a person, it is a person, but what's a pilgrim? Jaina? A traveler. A traveler, right? Someone who leaves their home to go somewhere else because they're seeking a new life, right? And so this man, we're going to find out in the story, he's about to leave his home. And he's going to go on a journey. And so that's why we call him pilgrim. Eventually, he learns how to have this burden of sin removed from his back, and he becomes a Christian. Now, remember, John Bunyan thought he was a Christian for many years. Because he hadn't read the Bible. And there's a lot of people today who go to church every Sunday. They say prayers every night. They do their best. And according to the Bible, they are not a Christian. Because a Christian is someone whose sin is forgiven and has become a child of God. And it's not by the ways that John Bunyan thought he could get to heaven. It's not the way a lot of people think they're going to get to heaven. And we're going to find out how our sin can be forgiven. We can become a true Christian. So yes, in the story, we see him as a pilgrim. He becomes a Christian, but at this point, he's not a Christian. So I'm not going to call him Christian at this part of the story. And John Bunyan doesn't really tell us his name till later, but we learn as he gets introduced to someone, and they say, well, what is your name? And his name at this time is Graceless. Graceless. Can someone tell me the three names that we just said that this man in the story is known by? Graceless? What's the other one? Someone who travels is called a? Pilgrim. Pilgrim. And after that traveler comes to know the Lord as a Savior, he's called a? A Christian. Very good. Christian, pilgrim, and graceless. But this story, he's known as graceless. Why is that? See, because the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, speaking to people who finally became Christians themselves. They said, well, when you look at your life before you knew the Lord as your Savior... Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12 says, At that time you were without Christ. You were aliens and strangers from the covenants of promise, being without hope and without God in this world. Do you hear that? Without hope and without God in the world because they did not know Christ. And grace is the kindness of God that he shows to people that they don't deserve. And so here is the man who needed God's grace, but he was without it. And so he is known as graceless. And my friends, if you're here today and you yourself have been deceived into thinking that by being good, by going to church and doing all kinds of religious things that you are a Christian and on your way to heaven, 
I was going to say, I'm sorry to tell you, but I'm glad to tell you you're wrong, but there is hope and you can be saved and your sin can be forgiven. And that's why Jesus came into the world. But see, at this point, he doesn't understand that yet. And so while he's sitting here wondering what to do, and what was the question he called out? He called out a question. Someone who hasn't answered one yet. Yeah. What can I do? He asked the question again. He's out there one day and he says, what can I do? He's desperate for a solution. Now, listen, it's changed his life. He has a family. He went home and every night he wanted to enjoy his family and he couldn't enjoy the things of his life anymore because something even more important, his eternal life was troubling him. And he tried to tell them about it and they didn't want to hear it at first, right? They, they said, well, maybe he's just got a little crazy ideas in his head, but let's just put him to bed. Maybe by morning he'll be feeling better. And so nobody really said anything to him at first. They just kind of left him alone thinking he'll get over it. But you know what? He went to bed and he didn't sleep well at all. All the things that he'd been reading kept coming back to his head and, and God was speaking to him and the burden on his back was getting heavier. And so finally, one day while he was out in the fields reading again and he was trying to get alone to think about these things because you know what? Little by little, his family did start to talk to him, but they weren't kind. The Bible says that their hearts were getting hardened. And so they began to laugh at him. They made fun of him. They, 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 they purposefully mistreated him, hoping to, to, to somehow manipulate and convince him to give up this reading of the Bible and just come back to life as normal. Have you ever experienced that? If you've ever gotten serious about reading God's word, I know that the enemy of your souls has sent some sort of something into your life through circumstances, through people, to discourage you from reading God's word. Because that's what he does. Satan loves to do that. He wants to discourage us from reading the Bible because that's our only hope. And so he would go to be alone to read the word of God. And one day he was calling out that question, what can I do to be saved? And lo and behold, praise God, someone came along who could answer his question. Now, before I get there, I just want to talk a little bit more about that sin problem that he had. We're going to talk an awful lot about sin, so let's define it. Sin is anything that we think or say or do or don't do that does not please God, right? Because sometimes we can think bad things about people when we get angry. And even though no one's ever heard it, God did. And he knows that every thoughts can be sin. And sometimes it actually does come out of our mouths and we say all kinds of nasty things we shouldn't say. And those are not pleasing to God. He told us to speak in love. And we disobey God and we say those things. Or sometimes we flat out do things we shouldn't do. And sometimes we know God tells us to do something and we don't. And all those things are sin. And see, here's the problem, right? Um, if sin, if, if getting to heaven is like hitting God's bullseye, which is being perfect, always doing everything in life that pleases the Lord. We read that verse in Deuteronomy today. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, all your soul for all your life. And you can get to heaven. Anyone here done that? None of us, right? We've all broken at some point. And so all of us have missed God's target for getting to heaven. And the Bible calls that sin, right? In the Bible, in Romans 3.23, it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? So our actions, thoughts, words, whatever they are, have fallen short and missed God's target, his perfect will, his perfect plan for our lives, which matches his glory. But, you know, we don't like to think about that too much. And so what we do is we say, well, what I've done is not as bad as what that other guy did. So, look, I'm doing a lot better than them. 
And so we try to make ourselves feel better. But the, the reality is, did we hit the target? No. We've all missed it. And so here's the reality then. You may do something in your day that is right. And you say, good job. God says, great job. You were kind to that person who was not kind to you. And then all of a sudden, you do something else. Oh, you actually took out the trash when mom told you to. And you went and cleaned your room when she asked you to do that without complaining. Woohoo! We're three for three. But then you're getting tired by the end of the day. And there's that one thing that you do that, that just misses. You did it with a bad attitude. You, 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 you said that thing under your breath that no one else heard but God did. Did, did I make the target? Well, I, I kind of convinced myself that I'm close, but did I make the bullseye? No, I still missed it, right? So think about it now. If you lived your whole entire life, for 75 years, you did everything perfect, and one time you didn't do what you're supposed to do, is it good enough to get to heaven? No, because we have missed the mark. And that's what sin is, missing the mark. Do you know that actually happened? We're watching the Olympics now, right? In 2004, there was a guy who, Matt Emmons, who was in the Olympics for the United States on a special team of uh, sharpshooter marksmen, right? He would shoot guns at targets. And there was 10 targets that he had to hit. And through nine of the 10 targets, he had the highest score by so far, he could have missed half the target on his last shot and he still would have won. And so he came up again, and I think the way they do this is they, they had to like, they run this course, and when they come back, then they take a shot, and then they run it again, and so they have to kind of calm themselves down and take a shot. And Matt Emmons comes on the last target of the whole entire Olympics. He's about to get the gold medal, and he stops, and he takes a deep breath, and he lowers his gun down, and boom, and it looks like a great shot. And he looks up at the, at the, the, the board to see what his score is, and the score is not showing. And so he tells the, the judges, hey, 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 it's not registering my score. And so he wants them to check it out so he can get his gold medal. It happens sometimes. And, and so the judges, oh, what's going on here? And they go check it out. And they said, uh, uh, actually, it registered your shot, but you shot the wrong target. He shot the neighbor's target next to his. If it had just been his target, he would have won. But after 10 rounds, the very last shot of the whole thing, he got nothing. Nothing for being in those Olympics because of one last shot. Do you see the problem we're in? We are like pilgrim. We can do so many good things that we try to hide the fact that we've messed up many times. But the Bible says the, the wages of sin is death. All the way back to Adam and Eve. Remember the garden? God told them, listen, here's those two trees. You can eat all you want from every tree, but that one tree in the middle of the garden, that's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You may not eat from that one. And if they had gone 50 years and never eaten from that tree and finally come to it, it would have messed it up. And that's sure enough what happened. Satan came along and tempted Eve and convinced her that, that God was trying to hold out on her and that she should take this fruit that's so delicious and beautiful to look at and it's going to make you wise. And she fell for his tricks and she ate that fruit, didn't she? And she gave it to Adam. And the Bible says as soon as they ate that fruit, the damage was done. The Bible says God... God's not so deaf that he can't hear you. His arm's not too short that he can't reach out and help you. But he said to the people of Israel, your sin has separated you from God. The wages of sin was death and separation from God. And they knew it. And that's why when they heard God coming, they went and tried to put their fig leaf clothes on, right? They kind of sewed them together and hid in the bushes. So God says, where are you? And they said, well, we're hiding over here because we knew that we were naked. And God said, you disobeyed, didn't you? He said, yes, we did. 
And now our sin has separated us from God and they had no way to fix it. But my friend, God says there is a way to fix our sin. But we can't ignore it. Every one of God's righteous judgments endures forever. He said the penalty for sin is death and it still is. And we all must give account to God. Nothing is hidden from his sight. And someday when we die, we will stand judgment before him and must give account. And Adam and Eve had to give account. But God had a solution, didn't he, right? Um, I, I guess I must have put the solution in there later. He made an animal sacrifice and an innocent animal died to take the place of Adam and Eve. And he made animal skin clothing for them so that they could be forgiven. And that's what Jesus did for you and for me. We could be saved. But here we are. And here is Pilgrim wondering what to do. And God sends a man. And this man's name is Evangelist. Does anybody know what the word evangelist means? Evangelist. A preacher of God's word. Okay. Do you know? A traveler. He's not a traveler. He used to be a traveler. But a, what? A preacher. It's someone who preaches the good news because the gospel is good news. And an evangelist preaches the gospel. And so here comes this man whose name is Evangelist. And he sees them and he says, hey, what's wrong? And Pilgrim says, well, I've got this burden on my back and... And it tells me that someday I'm going to die and stand before God and I'm, and I'm scared to die. And I know that I can't stand before God. And he says, well, why would you be so scared of God? He says, because this book tells me that the wickedness of my heart is going to sink me lower than the grave and take me to hell, the lake of fire forever. And I don't want to do that. I'm not ready to die. And so here comes evangelist and he says, well, then why are you just standing here? If you don't want to just... If you don't want to keep the circumstances that you got in your life, well, then why are you still standing here? Why do you think he was still standing there? Well, you have an idea? Why do you think he was still standing there? There's no wrong answer. I'm just asking, what do you think? He doesn't want to, get, he doesn't want to make the wrong choice. True. Any other ideas? No. Olivia? That's right. He doesn't know where to go. Where is he going to run to if he doesn't know where to go? He's like, I see that I'm in trouble, but where do I go? And so the evangelist finally says, well, okay, I can tell you that. And he gives him a little piece of paper that says, flee from the wrath to come. And so he sees it and he's like, okay, so I want to flee. Where do I flee to? And okay. He turns and says, do you, do you see that gate over there? And he looks and he says, No. Well, do you see that shining light? Well, okay, yeah, I think I see the light. Well, he says, you just keep that light in your eyes and it will lead you to the gate. And when you get to the gate, you knock on the gate and you'll be told how you can have your burden removed. And so, Pilgrim, you know what he does? He sticks his fingers in his ears and he takes off running. Because, see, he can already hear his family. They see him starting to head out towards that light. And they say, come back. Wait, don't go. Come back. And they're calling after him. Do you think it was hard for him to hear his family, the ones he loved, calling after him? And they wouldn't join him, but they want him to keep from going to find deliverance? It was hard. And there's a lot of people in this room. When you came to know Jesus as your Savior, you were seeking for Jesus. And your friends and even some of your family tried to discourage you, didn't they? And they called out after him. And there was some people who decided to go after him. And we're going to have to talk about them another time.
people who try to keep us from heading towards the light. Now, the light. Someone quoted a verse today. Was it Gene? Where did he go? All right. Can you quote that verse for me again? John 8, 12. Come here. That was a great verse to go along with our story. Evangelist pointed him towards the light. And remind us by that verse what the light is supposed to picture for us. Say that again. John 8, 12. Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. John 8, 12. Excellent verse. Excellent verse. Here, take that card. Put your name on that. Thank you, Gene. Jesus said, I am the light. That is where evangelists pointed him, to Jesus Christ. Because that's where he was going to find deliverance. You know, there's another thing that he was pointing him to. And it was the word of God. Can anyone tell me a verse in the Bible that tells me that the Bible is a light? Do you know? That map is in the story. Timothy, could you go get Pilgrim for me and bring him out and put him on the map? He's on the back side of the of the of the of the, uh, the map. Can anyone tell me a verse that tells me about yes? That's right. Where's it found? Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That's right. Boys and girls, Evangelist was telling him, You keep that light in your eyes. Keep reading God's word. And it's going to point you to the true light, Jesus Christ himself, who will give you the deliverance from your sin. And here we see on our map, thank you for reminding me. See this map over here? We're going to follow Christian through his journey. He's starting here by this city. The city he lived in was called the city of destruction because... Boys and girls, here's the thing. He was the only one with a burden on his back, but is he the only one who's a sinner? No. His wife was a sinner. Did she have a burden on her back? No. His children were sinners. Did they have a burden on their back? No. Why? Because they weren't reading God's word. They were not aware of the truth. If they were aware of the truth, it would have produced in them a heavy burden also. And so the very first place we need to come as human beings is to realize that, yes, God loves us. He created us in his image, but we are sinners. We've all said, done, not done things that we should have done. And and we are wicked before God. And our sin will keep us from having everlasting life unless we learn how to come to Jesus who can take that away. And boys and girls, that's where he's going to go. He's going to start out on this journey eventually to make his way to the cross where he will put his trust in Jesus because that's where Jesus died to pay for his sin. Just like Adam and Eve accepted God's plan of forgiveness when they took those animal skin clothing that God made for them. Pilgrim is going to realize that Jesus died to take his place and he will believe the message and find everlasting life and forgiveness of sins. And if you're here today and you've never realized that, you are lost. And the burden of sin is still upon you. And you will never make it to heaven unless you also join Pilgrim and the rest of us who've already been to the cross of Jesus Christ and put our trust in him. The same question Pilgrim asked, what must I do to be saved, was asked of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 16 when the jailer realized, I'm about to die. The, 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 the prisoners under my charge... There's been an earthquake, the doors are open, they're gone, and I am a dead man. And he was about to take his life. And Paul said, don't. God has done a miracle. 
and no one has left. And when he realized that God had done a miracle to save his life, he said, what must I do to be saved from my sin? And, and Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. We say it every week. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Came to, to drive out all the darkness of sin from your life. Just like he's going to do for Pilgrim. But we're not there in our story yet. He's there and he realizes that he lives in a place that's going to be judged by God because of sin. And he said, I got to get out of here. He didn't know where to go. If you don't know where to go, come talk to us after the meeting so we can introduce you to Jesus Christ who died to save your soul and he'll tell you how to be saved. He'll forgive you when you call out to him. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now tonight when we come back, we're going to follow this journey that Pilgrim goes. You know, it's not... It's not such an easy thing just because you hear that you're supposed to look for Jesus to know what you need to do. So as he ventures out from this place, leaving the city of destruction, he's going to have some difficulties, which will help us to understand what we need to know as we try to find how to be saved ourselves and how to help others. See, evangelists knew how to talk to him, didn't he? He didn't just come up to him and say, hey, go to that light. He asked him some questions. He said, what's wrong? You, you have a problem? Well, and he, and he kept talking about those problems to show him the need that you have is Jesus Christ. And we all need to be wise evangelists and know how to talk to sinners to help them find Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you. Thank you for the example of our Savior to use simple stories to help people who were just not understanding to come to a place to understand spiritual truth to change their lives. And Lord, as we see a man like John Bunyan who suffered greatly because he wanted to tell people about Jesus Christ. And they didn't want to listen to your word, but he, he packaged all the truths of your word into this story to try to teach others. Lord, help us to learn from this story again today. Help us to drive us back to the true light, to the word of God, which will guide our footsteps, to the person of Jesus Christ, who is himself the light, who can drive out all the darkness of sin and evil in our hearts and purge it from us, pay the penalty for us, and give us everlasting life. We thank you so much for Jesus Christ. And Lord, help us to be good evangelists to be looking for sinners who are seeking the Savior so that you can guide us and lead us to them and we can introduce them to our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.